0: of God. And so we've been, in this time of prayer, we've been moving the power of God. And that's what we need every every service. If we don't have the power of God moving in this place, we're just another church building. But we don't just need the power of God, we need the presence of God. And so this this minister said that praise moves the presence of God. And I believe that we need to praise Him. And praise and worship are not the same thing. Amen. You can praise Him all day long and never sing a note. Amen. You can praise Him with your life. You can praise Him with your voice. You can. There's so many ways to praise God. Amen. And our commitment to Him and our submission to Him. And so I just think that we need to just, everybody in this place this morning just needs to stand up. And we need to just forget about everything. We need to forget about all the issues and things that are going on in our life. We need to forget about all of the stresses and the problems and all the things that we have on our mind right now. We need to just clear our mind, and we need to just begin to lift Him up. And the only reason that we're lifting Him up is because He's worthy. And that's the only reason we need. But I tell you right now, we need the presence of God. In this place, every day, every service, every time, we need the presence of God. We need to come in here with a spirit and an attitude of praise. We don't let the en- we don't want to let the enemy distract us from what we're here for. It's good that we get to see one another, but that's not why we're here. Amen. This is a lighthouse. This is a soul saving station, and so we need the power of God through prayer, but we need the presence of God through praise. And so, if we could just begin to praise Him right now. If you've got to close your eyes, close your eyes. But just begin to lift up your hands. Just begin to tell Him how much you love Him. Just begin to tell Him how much
1: you appreciate Him. Just lift Him up and magnify Him in your own mind and begin to praise His name. It's by His name and through His name that we exist. It's by Him and through Him that we have breath. It's by Him and through Him that our hearts are beating right now. That we're standing upright and we have ears to hear and eyes to see. It's because of Him oh God. It's because of you, oh God, that we have the privilege and the honor of being saved today. It's because of you on that cross. We want to thank you. We want to praise you. We want to exalt and magnify and glorify and lift up your holy name. There's no other name like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. Oh God, the only reason we're even here today is because you gave us the privilege and the honor of being here today in this place. You're so worthy of all the glory. You're so worthy of all the honor. You're so worthy of all the praise, oh God. We want to feel your presence and we want to feel your power. We need both of them in this place, oh God, for there to be a mighty move in this place. For you, oh God, to do work in our hearts and in our minds, oh God. I need to be saved today. I need to be saved afresh and anew by the washing of the water by the Word today. Oh, God, we praise You. We glorify You. We honor You, Lord. We worship You for You're worthy, God. You're worthy, God. You're worthy of me lifting up my voice. You're worthy of me taking the time out, oh, God. Oh, to love You from deep within, oh, God. I love You, oh, God. Not just with empty words, oh, God. But we love You and we praise You. We honor You. We bless You, God. We bless Your name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Have your way in this place, God. Have your way in this place, God. Have your way. We want your will to be done. We want your will to be done in this place today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's clap our hands to the Lord right now. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and tell Him we love Him. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Ah, The fruit of our lips giving praise unto your name, O God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
0: Amen. You can be seated. The Bible talks about the fruit of our lips giving praise unto His name. you got to open your mouth. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we need that prayer. And we need that praise. We need that power. And we need that presence. Because I'm going to tell you right now, without either one of those in this room, I'm just a nice guy standing up here teaching a lesson, but it needs to be more than that because every word that I speak up here has the potential to affect every soul in this place to some extent. If you're within the sound of my voice, whether you're online or in this room, I need the presence of God. I need the power of God to lead me and guide me so that I don't say something I guess I'll use the word stupid. So I don't say something that would cause it to be a stumbling block and a rock of offense. Amen? I take this serious, and you should too. This is about our salvation. This is about our salvation. We, we need to be washed every day by the Word. We need to be saved every day. We're not once saved, always saved, folks. None of us are. And so we need this. I need this. Everybody say, I need this. this. Everybody say, I need this. this. And if you don't believe that, you need to. Because you need this. We have not arrived, folks. Amen. We're talking about exploring... God's word. Do we ever stop exploring God's word? Do we leave it up to somebody else to explore God's word for us? You're you're in great danger if you're doing that. These things are plentiful as it's the most purchased read book anywhere. There's no reason if somebody that doesn't even speak our language will pay their a month's wages to get one of these and can't even read it, what are we doing with it? And it's gonna, we're not going to have any excuse ourdict out without excuse, oh man, it says in one place in the Bible, when you've got the Word of God available to you on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer. There's just no reason not to not to just read it. Amen? Amen. In this book are the words of life. And the Bible says for you to seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You better not just trust what... I'm not just diminishing this man or this man, but you better not just... Trust what's being said from up here behind this thing. You better seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You better make sure you know that you know that you know that what's in this book is real and that it's activated and active in your life. Don't just, I heard one preacher say, don't settle. Don't just settle for where you are. Don't be satisfied with where you are in God. I heard this guy one time talking about when he was in Vietnam, they got into this they were they were going through the jungle and they found this beautiful valley with this wonderful stream going through and it was just so nice and there was no no shooting, no combat and everything and it was just so nice and they all just kind of relaxed and were taking their boots off and kicking their feet in the water and it was so beautiful, it was like a paradise. He said. And he said all of a sudden it dawned on them. They could be sitting ducks. Because the enemy could just be up on top of the hill just waiting for them to just relax. Just kick their boots off. Just forget about the war for a minute. Just, just visit this paradise and just kind of forget about everything for a while. And, and so they, they stopped what they were doing and they put their boots back on. And, and so we got to realize that. The enemy wants you, I know this has nothing to do with exploring God's Word, the lesson, but the enemy wants you to just get relaxed. Just be satisfied. Just be settled and satisfied. It's okay. It's okay. What you have is enough. That's right. You're, you got a seat on the bus. You're, you'll, you'll be there when Jesus comes. Who wants to be satisfied with that? With just a religious experience. Who wants that? Really? I didn't come into this. I didn't the Lord didn't lead me to this for me to just sit on a pew and be settled. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we kind of left off on Moses being used to deliver the people out of Egypt and we had the 10 plagues and everything that happened and and so the the final plague was what? And so what was involved with the death of the firstborn? What was that? The first Passover. Why did they call it Passover? Well, we're going to go into that real quick. The Lord told Moses to speak to the congregation and tell them to take a male lamb of the first year without blemish for each household. Every household had a responsibility to do this. One household didn't do it for everybody. Everybody, Every household was responsible to follow the pattern, Brother Parker, that God gave them and was giving them. He didn't tell them that they had to understand it first. He just told them, this is what you're going to do. If you want to be delivered, here's what you're going to do. And he instructed them to kill the lamb and to apply its blood to the two doorposts and the lintel of each house. Weird. I mean, Jews were used to some traditions and stuff, but this was just another, you know, weird thing. Okay, whatever. They were then to roast the lamb and to eat it that night, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They were to eat the, in haste with their shoes on their feet, belts in their on their waist, and staff in their hand, because it was the time to leave Egypt. At midnight, the Lord passed through the land of Egypt And killed all the firstborn of every household that did not have the blood upon the doorpost. When he saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed by or passed over that house and the inhabitants inside were safe. Salvation in this age today is dependent upon the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. You've got to have the blood applied to your life. And there's only one way to get that blood applied to your life. There's a pattern. There's a principle. God gave a pattern for that just like He gave a pattern for the people of Israel for their deliverance. Or even Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians 5-7, is sacrificed for us. He became that Lamb. If the Lord did not find blood applied to the doorpost, instant death resulted in these houses. So the firstborn of every creature and of every man, woman, and child. The firstborn of the Pharaoh died. The blood of the innocent Lamb is symbolic of the blood of the Lamb of God that delivers. us that delivers us from spiritual bondage. You know, once we're delivered from spiritual bondage, does the, does the devil just throw his arms up in the air and say, well, i got to go find another one. Lost that one. Does he do that? Oh, no. no. It's as if you had a target painted on your back when you have the blood of Jesus applied to your life. It's as if you've had a target painted on your back when you've taken on the name of Jesus. He is bound and determined to turn you into a trophy of hell. He's bound and determined to get you to turn from God, to walk away from God. And you aren't the first person he's tried this on, so he's, he knows what he's doing. You, don't you think the devil knows your weak places? He studies us. You better believe that. If you don't, he studies your life. He knows where the chinks in your armor are. He knows where he can get you to to turn and to fall and to fail. And you better be aware of that. You better know your enemy, because he will. He is out to steal. Your salvation, to kill your joy and to destroy your life. He don't care about you. He does not care about your family. He doesn't care about your kids. He doesn't care about your job. He doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't care. All He wants is you to be destroyed and out of a relationship with the Lamb of God. And so... These things in the Old Testament, don't let anybody ever tell you that what's in the Old Testament is not for today. It is absolutely for today. It's a pattern of what the New Testament was written about. One one person I heard say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and that the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. He didn't just make this up as he went. <laughs> he, he, he remember, He's the God that knows the end from the beginning and the in, beginning from the ending. He already knew. He already knew you were going to sin. That's why He went to the cross for you. He already knew. But He did it anyway. Amen? So we, we go from uh, from that deliverance to the law. So Israel goes through the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai. And Moses leaves them there after delivering them out of Egypt, after delivering them out of the death that was in Egypt, the death angel. Then he delivered them from death by the Egyptians at the Red Sea when he, op- when he parted the Red Sea. And he had that cloud of, of pillar by day and the cloud of fire by night to keep them. Isn't that symbolic of the Spirit of God in our life? To keep us? Isn't that blood that was on the doorpost symbolic of the blood that's shed for us that we take on when we take on the name of Jesus in water baptism? Isn't that isn't that that trip that trip through the Red Sea, isn't that symbolic of that washing, of that water? You see what I'm saying? It's all in there. And so they, he led them out of Egypt to, to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up there to get the law, and he got he went up there to get the tabernacle, and God gave him the whole law. And you're thinking to yourself, how in the world could he remember all that? Six hundred, how many? Thirteen? Six hundred fourteen laws, or six hundred thirty-three, something like that. How did I? How did I couldn't remember all that stuff? Could you? I mean, about everything—children, marriage, <laughs> what kind of, what kind of meat to eat. I mean, you just—it goes on and on and on. But God gave them him the capacity to remember that and to write it down, because he was the one. And what God's going to choose you one day to be that person, to do some things that you're just going to go. There's no way I can do that. And that's exactly why He's calling you to do it, because He don't want you to do it. He wants to do it through you. He just needs your your vessel. He'll use your mouth. He'll use your mind to, to accomplish His will, just like He did Moses. What was Moses' first thing he said when God called him to go deliver the people of Egypt? He immediately did what we would do. started making excuses. But, 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 I don't have good speech. And everything that Moses said, God said, it's okay, I got this. I'm going to send Aaron with you. What I find amazing is when, when Moses, here I, I'm thinking, okay, Aaron's going to be the one doing all the talking, right? So what happens when Moses gets in front of Pharaoh?
1: Aaron's just standing there
0: holding a stick.
1: <laughs>
0: Aaron doesn't say a word after he told him that. So somewhere between when he left the desert and when he got to Egypt, something happened to Moses. He finally got some boldness. Don't you want to have some boldness? He didn't save you and me. To, to, for us to say, well, somebody else needs to do outreach, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's a lie of the devil right there. That is a lie of the devil. Well, I'm too old. A younger person needs to do that. That there's a lie of the devil, too. Well, I'm too young. I ha- I don't know enough about the Bible yet. Another lie of the devil. You don't need to you don't need to be a Bible scholar to witness to people. They're not looking for a Bible scholar. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're starving for something real because this world is full of stuff that's real one minute and gone the next. They're looking for something real and they're going to see that in you. They're going to they're notice when you just, no matter what trial or test comes your way, it just seems like you always have joy. You always have victory. Not, not that you're always happy all the time. But just something. nothing bothers you. Nothing gets under your skin. What? They're going to ask, what is it about you that's so different? And if you're hesitating on witnessing to somebody, God will make it so that they ask you a question like that where you're forced. Because He wants you to give your testimony. because You have that influence with that person that we don't have. I'm getting off subject here. A little bit. Sorry about that. Hallelujah. You know? So Israel got in a little trouble when Moses was up on the mountain getting the law and the tabernacle. They they decided... They, they got a little comfortable. They got, to, they got to missing the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And they got to missing all that bondage. Don't ever let yourself get to that place where you're looking back at the world and going, Oh, man... I, you know, sitting here going, they're all out on their boats this morning and I'm sitting in here. Right? They're all out there having fun and I'm sitting in here. That's a dangerous place to be. And Israel got in a dangerous place. And did God know that? Did He know that they were messing around down there? Just because Moses was up on the mountain doesn't mean that... To... <laughs> and God actually told Moses, put those stones down. Go down there and deal with that. Come back. So God will send a man of God into your life to deal with stuff in your life. And He might not get right up in your face and say it specifically, but He'll send a man to stand behind a desk and say some stuff and He don't even know that you're going through things. That guy... That one preacher, what's his name, Aaron Soto, he preached that man's conference. He was reading some people's mail in that room every time he got the microphone. He was reading some people's mail and he had no idea. There was 300 plus men in that room. There's no way he could know. He was reading some mail. (laughs) God knows everything, folks. Egypt represents a type of bondage. When God delivered us out of this world, He delivered us out of Egypt. We were in bondage to sin. We didn't even think we were, Brother Terry. We were Lutheran or Catholic or whatever it was that we were. And not to diminish or, you know, despise any of those, I'm thankful for my roots. I'm thankful for the foundation that God gave me. At least I had something to work with. But we were in bondage to religious tradition, to whatever. We were in bondage to some things, and God took us through a Red Sea experience. He took us through a deliverance experience. He took us through the same experience that Israel went through. We had There had to be some blood applied, and there had to be God's Spirit involved, and there had to be some water involved because there's a pattern for that. And we're going to get into the tabernacle a little bit, but the tabernacle is really a pattern for our salvation today. So if uh, you could throw that next slide up there. Sister Booth lady. My sweetheart. See that thing right there on the... Here. Right there. That's the tabernacle that is what God told Moses in his mind to build, and it wasn't real pretty from the outside. it was kind of ugly, it had those curtains around it, and the average person looking at it couldn't make sense, hiding it one way or the other what what it was there for, but God had a pattern for Israel. The priest approached. that first piece of furniture. Go to that next one, Carol. Right there on the... Whoops. Turned it it off in the (laughs) back. Hit the wrong button. Right there. Altar of Sacrifice. See those little things on the corner? The top there? Those are horns. When they bring that animal, that lamb in there, they would tie it down to the altar of sacrifice. The the Bible says that that fire was to stay burning all the time in that altar of sacrifice. The the fire needs to be burning all the time in our life. We need to let the fire of the Holy Ghost keep burning in our life. We need to keep ourselves tied to that altar of sacrifice because why did they tie the animal down? Just like they tied Isaac down to the wood. So he wouldn't get away. You need, we need to be tied to the horns of the altar every day of our life. That's the first step in the tabernacle. It's the first thing you saw when you went through that little gate at the bottom. There was a little curtain at the bottom. Turn that one on the back. There was a little right, right on this end of it. There was a, an entryway, and you couldn't see past to see any of this stuff first thing you saw was that altar of incense and it wasn't pretty it was kind of i mean they burned animal sacrifices on it, if you think about it and they had to collect the blood down at the bottom right and there was a there was a specific pattern and reason for why god this did this and when, and so we were talking about how this is the pattern of our sac, our salvation jesus our offering for sin hebrews 9:28 jesus became that lamb every family had to bring a lamb Every family had to bring some sacrifice. Maybe it wasn't a lamb. Everybody had, had different income levels, I guess. So there was different, sac- different animal sacrifices. But by and large, they brought a lamb without blemish. It wasn't just any old lamb they brought. Well, let's just go out and find the junkiest one. Let's give that to Jesus. Right? If you've got guests in your house, you're not going to give them your junk out of the back of the cabinet that's two years old, right? You're going to feed them the good stuff if you honor your guests and love your guests. And so we love the Lord, and so the Lord wants our best. So they had to have a lamb without blemish. There was all kinds of specifics. I'm not going to go into all the detailed specifics, but it had to. I believe it had to be a lamb of the first year without blemish. They had to keep it separated so nothing happened to it. So there was no blemishes or marks or anything on it. And they go through all that trouble to save that lamb so they can slaughter it. And why did they do that? Why did they have to slaughter the lamb? What was the purpose of the the once a year offering of the lamb? They had to push their sins back a year. They didn't get repentance. They didn't get forgiveness. They just got their sins all pushed back for a year. It's, It's almost like God just Temporary, temporarily forgot about them for a year until the next year. And then you're, you have to think about in that next year, <laughs> were flesh. Israel was flesh. They were adding more sins. Because <laughs> if you read the Old Testament, they were always getting in trouble, it seems like. They were always sinning and falling short of the glory of God, just like we do. Do we ever stop sinning and falling short of the glory of God? I don't want to, but it just happens because I'm flesh. I fall short. I, I I let my guard down for just a second. And then i got to repent. Thank God for that repentance. Thank God. That's what that is right there.
1: That is repentance right there. That's the repentance.
0: And that repentance and remission of sins should begin to be done in His name, right? That's our first step towards salvation, isn't it? Repentance. we got to burn this thing up. The Bible says we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been sacrificed on the altar. We've got to sacrifice ourselves. God's not going to make you repent. He's going to give you conviction. He's going to talk to your mind. He's going to... He's going to let you know that whatever it is you're doing or you've been doing is not pleasing to Him. And you need to have the sense of the, of the Holy Ghost, especially after you have salvation, to know that I've got to repent of that. Like that guy on, on, the, on 90 that cuts you off. You want to bless him out in Jesus' name. Have anybody ever done that, besides me? Even not, not even verbally, just to yourself. Have you ever felt God saying, "Really, that's a soul. Why, why are you talking to my creation like that?" And I, what do you do? I immediately repent. God, I am so sorry. And I even thought that because that is a soul. And God wants to see them saved too. And they don't know any better. They don't have the Holy Ghost. They don't know any better than to cut, off, cut you off. Because you would never do that to somebody else with the Holy Ghost, right? Only oh, you don't have to answer. just, it's just a thought. Sometimes you got to repent for being the, the one doing it. It was not merely an altar that that gave the worshiper access to the holy place, but the putting away of the sins. This is talking about the, the altar of incense. What was the next piece of furniture? That little thing right there. The labor of water or the brazen or the brass labor. And I'm not going to go into it, but there was a reason why it was brass. There's all kinds of... I mean, God didn't just... Kind of throw this stuff out there there was a there was deep and spiritual reasons for a lot of this stuff. We don't want to get i mean we could do a whole series on the tabernacle and so what was the labor of water for? so the priests would they would put the animal sacrifice on the brazen altar we we repent we we kill our flesh, kill all this this sin you know the sin nature's always going to be with us right. Until the day we die and are put in the ground or until Jesus comes, the sin nature is always going to be with us. So we're always going to have this thing in our life. We had that missionary get up here. we got to have an altar in our life every day. We got to have this thing on the altar every day. I need to have this, my flesh, on the altar every day because I will start relaxing and doing stuff I shouldn't, thinking stuff I shouldn't. I'm not going to go out and do blatant stuff like drink and smoke dope and... All that kind of stuff, but just little stuff. And sometimes it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, right? Uh-huh. Just the little stuff. Oh, it's just a thats a minor sin, God. Can't you just overlook that? It's not a major one. <laughs> that's how I was raised. <laughs> there was different categories and levels of sin. but So the priest would take the blood. He's heading for the Holy of Holies. But he would take the blood... And carry it and he you weren't allowed to go past that point with all that mess on you. So the priest would have to wash his hands and wash himself and prepare to put his garments on to enter into the holy place. And that's a, a type and a picture of putting away sin. We We all have the potential to sin every day with the holy ghost without the holy ghost the beauty of having the baptism of the holy ghost the beauty of having the blood of jesus applied to our life is that that blood is continually there continually covering and he gives us that opportunity to repent every day sometimes i repent because i know i'm not like set i'm not planning on sinning but i know good and well god i'm going to I'm going to fall short so I'm repenting right now because I'm going to have a wrong attitude. Somebody's going to say something at work and I'm going to get a wrong attitude and I need to repent for my flesh. I need to repent for my wrong attitudes and my critical attitudes, my critical spirit that's going to rise up in me because I know me. Right? And eventually, you'll quit doing that stuff because it's just like growing up from a an infant to a toddler to to an adolescent to a teenager to a young adult to a middle-aged adult to an older adult you're learning all the way you're learning the bible talks about putting away childish things right god doesn't take them away from you does he you have to put them away you have to put them down he's not going to force you to live for him, he's not going to force you to die for him. Hallelujah. There is no pardon, no righteousness, no peace, no grace, no blessing, and no salvation without the sacrifice of the cross. The altar represents the shedding of blood, and that brazen altar represents the washing. So when you have that shed blood of Jesus applied to your life in water baptism in Jesus' name, something happens. You take on the name of Jesus, you take that mark on your doorpost and your lintel, and that death angel, as it did in, in the Old Testament, passes by. And we celebrate a Passover in our own life. The labor points to the cleansing from sin which we have in Jesus the initial washing at water baptism, which is the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, and the continual cleansing we have thereafter. And if we could throw 1 John 1 and 7 up there. That's Jesus' name. But if we walk in the light, we got to walk in the light. It doesn't say if he makes us walk in the light we got to walk in the light as He's in the light. We walk where He walks. We have fellowship with one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is going to creep into your life. But thank God we can be cleansed and washed every day. Amen. You are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.11 The New Testament experience of salvation. Repentance comes first, which is the death with Christ, a death to sin. Then comes water baptism, which is washing and burial with Christ. We are buried with Him by, by baptism. And to repentance, right? So we got to experience death in our life, spiritual. If we don't experience that death, we're going to experience a spiritual death that's going to come. And there's there's a place called hell, and it is real. And the Bible says it was created for the devil and his angels wasn't created for mankind. So we don't want to go there. We don't even want to get close. We don't even want to say, well, what can I do just to barely make it in? And we don't want those people outside the door of this building this morning to go there either. That's the the whole point of me teaching this Bible study is to encourage you that yeah, I know you're not Brother DeMuth, but you can teach a home Bible study. You can do it. And you need to do it. And it is our job. You go back and look at the people that were saved on the day of Pentecost. They went from daily from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship. They weren't just talking about the weather and talking about the the, the latest ESPN and sports news and they weren't they weren't talking they were talking about the things of God. And so we daily need to be out there breaking bread from house to house. And have and God gave them favor with all the people. If we'll go out there and do what God's called us to do, you have a ministry. I'm looking at everybody in here, you have a ministry you have to ask yourself, am I fulfilling the ministry that God called me to? You might just have one talent. You might have three talents. You might have ten talents. But whatever you have, God's expecting us to use it. And to not hold it to ourselves. We don't want to bury it in the ground and say, well, there I go. I have one talent. Because what happened to the guy that did that? He lost his talent. And so, folks, we we can teach this stuff. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know all the ins and outs and all the details of the tabernacle plan of salvation. We can take our time. I mean, I know we've got not much time, but we got to at least be busy about our Father's business. And His business is adding to the church. Our business is Getting the gospel out in front of people, and you know, I, Brother Soto mentioned one situation in their church about some people from a different, different, other than heterosexual community. Let's just say that were coming to his church, and God was saving them one by one. And and you know, I and one of them, one of them came there to challenge him. And God just told him, just go down there right before the service was over, go down there and just lay your hand on her head and pray for her. And he had no idea what was going to happen, and he did that, and she just threw her hands up in the air and began to pray in other tongues. It's right there on the spot. And you know I was thinking about that, Brother Becker. There had to be an atmosphere, first of all, in that church, for there to be even a, for those the people of that persuasion to even feel comfortable coming into that church. There had to be a right atmosphere first. He kind of skimmed over that, but I I just couldn't couldn't get that out of my mind. It's like there had to be a right atmosphere in the church. Because if there's not, you'll never get people like that in the door. And Jesus was condemned mostly, in the way I read it, for everywhere he went and the people he talked to that were just not like the Jews. He was always being condemned for being with the publicans and sinners. You ever notice that? And did he care what they thought? Nah. He didn't care. Because he was loving people. And I pray all the time, because I know I'm not there yet. I pray, God, give me a lo- that kind of love for people. Give me that kind of love for people. That I don't care about myself. That I don't make excuses. Well, I can't because I'm this, and I I'm too busy, and I don't have enough Bible knowledge, and I'm I haven't been in church long enough, and all the excuses that you can think of. Or that's I've done I've done my time. It's somebody else's turn. Lord God forbid us if we ever think like that. God sent a seventy-something-year-old lady up to Bemidji, Minnesota, to start a church, and she wasn't even a licensed preacher. <laughs> God's gonna do what He wants to do, and if He finds a willing vessel, He'll do it through that willing vessel. I want to be that willing vessel. I don't want to. I don't want to be the reason for, that God won't work and won't move. I don't want to be that that person. Do you? And so they had. There was in the holy place there. There was the. Oh, she took away my slide. (laughs) There was the altar of incense and the the golden candlestick and the table of showbread. And in our in our brief lesson here, the table of showbread represented Jesus, the bread of life. How many times did He say, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life." John six thirty three through thirty five there. And the altar of incense represented the prayers. How important is it to pray? If it's a central, it's the central piece of furniture before you get into the Holy of Holies. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? Because you know right there, right there, right there, there there was a veil. The only people that could go behind that veil was the priest. Nobody else. No, your average saint couldn't go behind that veil right there. You could go in here, but very rarely. This was where the priests did their business before they took the blood into the holy of holies and put it on the mercy seat. Thank God for His mercy, right? And so when Jesus died, that veil right there was rent and twain from top to bottom. The Bible says. And you do you go do your own study on the veil. It wasn't just something. It wasn't just a little piece of cloth that you could just, like a piece of burlap, you could just reach up and rip it in half. It wasn't. It was. It was quite thick actually. It was like almost like leather. It was like. It wasn't. And it was so tall that I don't even know if Goliath could have reached to the top of it. So nobody, no man, could have reached up there and ripped that thing from the top to the bottom. So how did it rip from the top to the bottom? When Jesus died, that veil right there represented the flesh of Jesus Christ back in the Old Testament. The holy of the holy of holies was the, the very presence of God. And so when Jesus died, who was who? Jesus was God robed in flesh. That was that robe right there. He the robe ripped as soon as Jesus died on the cross. We had access right into the Holy of Holies, and what's the what's the middle piece of furniture right there? The the prayers. How important is prayer? More vitally important than I can explain to you. How important is prayer? There was there was about 120 people, give or take, including the mother, mother Jesus, Mary. That was in that upper room on the day of Pentecost and we wouldn't have what we call Pentecost today if it wasn't for a bunch of people that went faithfully to an upper room and prayed until the promise of the Father came. No guarantees. He didn't give them a time frame. He just if you go up there for 10 days, it'll happen. He didn't tell them that. He just said go there and tarry. It could have been 20, it could have been who knows. It could have gone further than that. But somehow, I I guess maybe God decided after 20 days, okay, it's time. And so He did what He promised to do throughout the Old Testament to send the promise of the Father. And we have that today. Amen? Thank God. And so, behind the veil... At the west end of the holy place was the Holy of Holies, which was the dwelling place of God. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained Aaron's rod that budded, the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments, and a golden pot of manna. The Holy of Holies represents the presence of God Himself, which we enjoy in our lives today by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, all the presence of God wasn't in that. But that was God's presence and manifestation in His what does it say here? The mercy seat was stained with the blood of an innocent sacrifice. It represents the redemptive work of Christ. According to His mercy, He saved us. Titus three and five. The mercy seat was God's throne to His people. The tabernacle was located in the center of all of the tribes of Israel. God, the Israel, God, the church, and His will must be in the center of our lives today. So we have that wonderful relationship with Him because He came to dwell inside of us. Not because we deserved it. Not because we just stood there and wanted it. But He promised us. And Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. There was a lot more than 3,000 people there that day, a lot more, probably more walked away than stayed. But 3,000 people said, okay, God, you pricked my heart. I got to stick around and see what this is all about. 3,000 people that day. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this promise, it wasn't a new promise. It was an old promise that God keeps His Word, right? When when He could swear by no greater, the Bible said He swore by Himself. So if if God swore by Himself, swore an oath, if He doesn't keep His oath, He ceases to be God. And this promise is unto you, to your children, and all them that are far off. Everybody raise your hand. We are the them that are far off. We are they. Does it stop with us? It never stops. The 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 Bible, this salvation, this the perpetuating of this thing should never stop. Brother Gleason's book talks about this, about discipleship. We 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 become a new convert, we, we we're delivered from sin and we come into the congregation and and we've received the Holy Ghost. We're baptized in Jesus' name. We begin to become involved in the work of God. And we begin to be discipled. And eventually we're released out and to begin to witness to people. And then we begin to disciple somebody. And then they go through that same process. And then they begin to reach out and minister to people. And then they begin to disciple somebody. And the process just keeps perpetually going and going and going. And that's how it should work. We were challenged at men's conference to bring to to fill that tabernacle. We almost had it. We had it about half full of men. And I looked around and I thought, you know what? If each one of these men would just in the next year would just reach one man and bring them back, we would fill that tabernacle next summer. Just one man per man. Not five, not ten, just one. We would fill that place up. We would have a problem on that campground, Brother Parker. We wouldn't have anywhere to put everybody. (laughs) We might even have to go have the men's conference somewhere else if it keeps happening like that. Kalahari, baby. (laughs) We'll surpass the women. (laughs) That would be awesome. 2,000 men coming to a conference. And I'm going to tell you right now, I I looked around several times at that men's conference. This isn't my testimony. I'm not trying to get out of it. (laughs) There was probably more men that didn't look Pentecostal than there were that did. In my estimation. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. At least they were there. At least they believed this enough, wherever they are in their walk. And they're and they're trying to get close to to a better walk with God. They're at least there. They at least spent the money, or some some church spent the money investing in these men to make sure they were there. I'm getting off the subject again. And so the tabernacle. If you look at that picture, kind of looks like a cross, doesn't it? think that was by accident? Because no. the, ta- the table of showbread was on the right when you walked into the Holy of Holies, and the the candlestick was on the left. It wasn't just coincidence. Right. Or as Popeye used to say, dink. I'm sorry. just had a carnal moment there for just a second. Couldn't help it. Mercy sakes alive, Jesus. Brother Popeye, that's right. <laughs> Amen. Folks, we got to be busy about our Father's business. We really do. It doesn't, it, ministry doesn't happen. It, it happens in here, but it really happens out there. It really does happen out there. A bunch of men went to a go-kart place yesterday in Shawano, and they said that's the largest crowd they've ever had there. (laughs) And I guarantee you that those men ministered to the people that owned that place in ways they hadn't even thought of. Now, that that wasn't talked about, but I just thought about that when they said that. I thought 60, 70, 80 men showed up to ride go-karts, and they all... None of them were cussing. None of them were drinking. None of them were doing any of the stuff that the normal, typical man in the world would do. And that had to just minister to those people. But we had to be out there. We had to give up our weekend and go to Shawnee, Wisconsin. And we had to be there and spend our 60 bucks and go out there and, and enjoy ourselves. And run. I didn't get to go. I would have won the prize if I had gone, but I let somebody else have it. Kyle, yeah. Kyle Petty or whatever his name was. <laughs> Some NASCAR driver got out there. <laughs> but amen. we got to be busy about our Father's business. I'm, I'm just doing this because I'm just trying to encourage you all that you can do this. I mean, honestly, all I'm doing is just following this book. If I can do it, you can do it. I am no spiritual guru by any stretch of the imagination. And I I'm I don't I don't have one of these going yet. But I got some stuff God's putting in the works. God's moving some people into my life and I don't it's just they're hungry. They're they're calling us and asking us can we come over? And they're they're just coming over for dinner, but we it eventually it's going to turn into something. One couple's bringing their mom and dad. They just <laughs> And I don't, you know, if if God, by His mercy and grace, wins those people through me, who are they connected to? Who else are they, who are they connected to in Sparta? Who do they, who are they going to go share their their testimony with and their their excitement about what happened to them? It could just be just, God could just be lighting a fuse to start an explosion. And I got to be there. I can't be satisfied with just right here. Amen? Praise God. Let's all stand. In Jesus' name, Lord, we love You. We thank You. We honor You. We bless You, Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, I hope and I pray that something I've said today has sparked something in somebody, Lord Jesus, that You've stirred a hunger, a thirst, and a desire to get outside of this building, Lord Jesus, and get out there. Oh, God, and to rub shoulders with the world in such a way that we can influence them. Oh, God, in such a way that we can have them ask us, what is it about you that's so different? So, God, that you would send us opportunities, Lord Jesus, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's an opportunity for us to open our mouth and to speak the gospel. Lord, let let us go out without hesitation. Let us go out, Lord Jesus, without reservation. Oh, God, let us go out, oh God, in the name of Jesus, without condemnation. Lord Jesus, we have the power in us. We have what they want, God. We have what they want. They are struggling, oh God. They are hungry. They are thirsty. They are desiring somebody to bring them something that's real, oh God. And we have that thing that's real, God. Help us to do that. Help us to be that vessel, oh God. Help us, oh God, to go from house to house every day, Lord Jesus. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We'll see everybody at quarter till 11.